This morning's scripture reading is found in 1 John chapter 4. If you'd like to follow along, now is the time to get out your Bible, or you can use the screens. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be with you again this week. I hope you had a great week of... uh, Sunshine, we had an incredible lightning storm at our house Friday night. The whole sky was just flashing up, and it was just really cool to think God's creation is amazing, and it just reflects his power and glory. It was really fun to watch. Well, this morning we are going to be talking about fear. Great subject, isn't it? Fear factor. And how fear factors into our daily lives. I was thinking, what is something that can invoke fear in anybody right now? And I came up with it. There are 135 days left until Christmas. (laughs) So start your shopping now. Well, I was looking into common fears, and we all have some, and let's see if you fall into any of these categories up here, these common fears. We have the fear of spiders. How many of you are afraid of spiders? A few hands, okay. Depends on how big they are for me. Uh, We've got the fear of snakes. Anybody afraid of snakes? Oh, see more hands there. All right, how about the fear of heights? Okay, we've got a few. How about the fear of situations in which escape is difficult, like the one I'm in right now? How's that? (laughs) Some of you, okay. And we've got fear of flying, Fear of an air being in an airplane flying, okay. And the last one, fear of germs. Is that oh okay? Yeah, and I'll have to raise my hand there too. Fear of germs. There are lots of kinds of fears that we can have. And I also uh, polled our staff and uh, asked what what are your fears or phobias. And I said I would not put names with these. So you would actually be surprised at whose names were by these, but I'm not going to give them to you. So one of them is the fear of falling. You'd think that would have been me, but it's not. Uh, Letting people down, that's a fear. Aging is a fear. Abandonment. And the last one was claustrophobia. Now, I tend to be a pretty fearful, I would like to say cautious person. That's a little more positive spin on it. Our verse this morning says that perfect love casts out, or in some versions it says drives out fear. So I looked up the word fear in that particular verse in the Greek, and strangely enough, it's phobo or phobos, which would be our phobic word. And the definition from that particular word in 1 John is uh, terror, alarm, fleeing. I like this one, fleeing because feeling inadequate, Uh, Scripture often uses this term negatively of withdrawing from the Lord or his will. So that's a fear, and that's something we're going to look at a little bit today. Psychologists say that the fear response is almost entirely autonomic, means we have no control over it. We don't consciously trigger or it or even know what's going on until we have had it run its course. We don't even see it necessarily as fear that we're experiencing. What we see is the byproduct of fear. And the byproduct of fear 
are emotions like jealousy, anger, uh, being afraid of a certain situation. We blame other people. That's a byproduct of fear, being defensive. Lots of negative emotions come out of fear. Well, as I told you, I can tend to be a cautious, fearful person. And I wanted to read to you, I'm just laying it all out here for you today. So you're going to find out a lot of things about me that you probably wish you'd never known. Uh, But I don't know if you've heard of the Enneagram study. This is a personality test that we did uh, a few years ago as a staff, and it was very helpful. You land in one of nine categories. Now, I have to tell you that for me, I had to take this test three times in three different ways because I was so close in so many categories, which I think means I'm just very confused. But where I eventually landed was this number six And the number six is the loyal skeptic. So I tend to be phobic, uh, trying to not be in fearful situations. My strategy, or the things that I focus on, let's see if you think this is true, and Barry, you can't say anything. (laughs) I focus on what could go wrong or be hazardous, potential pitfalls, difficulties, incongruities, implications, inferences, and hidden meanings. My blind spots, or would be my weakness, are magnification of hazards and negatives and initially not seeing the positives. Bobette, quit shaking your head. Okay. So in a good way, because I have to tell you the good part about this, is that I can see things that could be pitfalls, uh, and that, that can be a good thing. When that was a good thing was a few years ago when my two boys were playing Little League, uh, I was at the game, and I saw that they have these batting helmets that they put over their heads. And the coach was having them put these batting helmets over their heads. And all I'm looking at is one kid putting it on and the next kid putting it on and the next kid putting it on. And what did I immediately think of? Head lice. Head lice. So I said, "Uh, wait a minute. You need to have the boys put their baseball caps on and then the batting helmet on over that. Oh, my gosh, they thought I was ridiculous. Well, my kids did. And two weeks later, that coach had to call me and say, I can't believe I have to tell you this, but so-and-so on the team has head lice. And I said, oh, isn't that a shame that I had my kids wear their caps and I don't have to worry about that? So that was a good situation. There's plenty more bad ones, and I'll give you an example of that. A few months ago, as you know, my son's getting married, and he called and said, Mom, so-and-so's giving us their uh, timeshare in Mexico for our honeymoon. Well, I've learned not to speak first because I get myself in trouble, but in my head, I'm not thinking, oh, this is great. I'm thinking, Ben's going to go on some wild adventure and land in a Mexican jail. Or, at the very least, they're going to get very sick. So I did keep that to myself, but that's where my mind goes immediately, to the farthest out thing that could possibly happen. Worst case scenario. Well, one last thing I'm going to read you. I do everything I can to avoid being helpless or not in control in the face of danger and harm, succumbing to danger and harm, Getting stuck in doubt and contrary thinking. At the core, ending up dependent and helpless. 
that is definitely me. So that's something that it's interesting the way God gave me this message a while ago, a few months ago actually, that it was for me. So I'm sorry you have to go through it. This is all actually for me, but hopefully you'll get something out of it and you have some fear. Well, like I said, we have strengths and weaknesses. And <clears throat> excuse me, I heard a long time ago, I don't know how many familiar with Gary Smalley, but he said our weaknesses our, our let me get this right. Our weaknesses are our strengths out of balance. Think about that. So my strengths of being able to kind of look around and assess a situation and see, you know, things that need to be seen become a weakness when I magnify it. So my very strength becomes a weakness. That could be for you too. I don't know. Well, we're talking about fear here and healthy fear and unhealthy fear. There are two kinds. I was just referring to unhealthy fear, but there is healthy fear, and that is that figuring out this is kind of a dangerous situation. I need to look at this. I need to to get out of the situation. That is built in us for a reason. And healthy fear is also the fear of God. The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing God means having a healthy reverence for who God is not being afraid of his punishment. Although, shouldn't we be afraid of God? Because he's God. He can do anything. He is all-powerful. But we need to have a healthy fear of God. So you can look and decide in your situations if you're having healthy or unhealthy fear. Now, our scripture says that perfect love casts out that fear, that unhealthy fear. But what's the difference between perfect love and just love? I love my family. I love my friends. I love God. But is my love perfect? No, it's not perfect. I fail many times. Only Jesus has absolute perfect love for us. And that's what we need to remember as we're going through today because it is different than just love. I love to be perfect, and I'm not. And I don't know if you ever do, you know, you do your emails and you do spell check. Well, I'm a terrible speller, so I have to spell check everything. And when I click that button and it says, your spelling is perfect, ah, it makes my day. I've done something perfect that day, and I can really feel good about that. But only Jesus' love is perfect. And here is a definition of perfect, which is different than just our love having all the required or desirable elements, qualities, or characteristics as good as it can possibly be, free from any flaw or defect in condition or quality, absolute, complete, faultless. That is Jesus' love for us. Well, I've got two points to my message today. And my first point is that fear leads to sin. Fear leads to sin. We're going to be looking just very briefly at Nehemiah today, the book of Nehemiah. This book is found in the Old Testament, and it is a story of the exiles from Israel returning to their homeland, Jerusalem. 
Nehemiah was among the Jews of the exile in Babylon. And after the Babylonian Empire fell to the Persians, Nehemiah found himself as the royal cupbearer in the palace in Susa for the Persian king Artaxerxes. Quite a reputable position. He was probably born in exile and had never seen his homeland. While serving at this palace in Susa, he became greatly distressed by some news that he got. I'm going to read to you just the first few verses of the book of Nehemiah to give you a foundation. Now, it happened in the month of Kislev, which would have been December, in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, this is Nehemiah speaking, one of my brothers and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. So he was trying to get some information about what was going on back in his homeland. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You see, the city wall was the absolute security of that city. If that wall was broken down or vulnerable in any way, they were free, uh, free to be attacked. They were a vulnerable city. So this wall is key to the security of the city of Jerusalem. So with the king's permission, uh, and he was accompanied by a Persian military escort, Nehemiah was able to travel back to Jerusalem and serve as the governor there. This happened in about 446 B.C. When Nehemiah arrived, he quickly surveyed the fallen city, trying to figure out what needed to be done. He organized the people in groups, and that city wall was repaired in 52 days, which was very remarkable. However, there was a lot of opposition. So what does this story have to do with my point that fear leads to sin? Well, there's a key part here in chapter 6 of Nehemiah that I'm going to read to you, two verses, 12 and 13. The wall had been repaired, but again, I said there was opposition of blackmail, intimidation, and really terrorism because they did not, the people there did not want the wall uh, the wall repaired and built. So they were doing everything they could to stop that work of Nehemiah. And finally, someone, a messenger came to Nehemiah and said, someone's coming to kill you, so you need to leave your work on the wall and go hide out in the temple to save your life. Here is how he replied. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, meaning the messenger, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Senbalat had hired him. These were two men who were opposing Nehemiah. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin, so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. You see the connection there? Nehemiah knew that if he acted on his fear, his natural fear that any of us would have, he would have sinned by stopping the work that God called him to do. 
He knew that this was not from God. The Bible says that God does not give us a spirit of fear, and Nehemiah knew that. Fear is behind all our negative attitudes and actions. One psychologist has said that there are only five basic fears out of which almost all other so-called fears are manufactured or come from. The five basic fears are the fear of extinction, fear of annihilation, of ceasing to exist. It's more than just a fear of death kind of thing. It's like when you look over a tall building and you kind of get that panicky feeling. That's the fear of extinction. The second one is the fear of mutilation, fearing losing our body parts or being harmed in any way in our bodies. It can cause uh, extreme anxiety, and that's where our fear of uh, spiders, animals, snakes, creepy things, all of that is actually from this fear of mutilation. And I'll just tell you that I have a terrible fear of frogs because they can, like, hop up at you and do things that you're, you know, like, ah, and they're so cute, everybody says. And I go, nope, I hate those frogs. Anyway, loss of autonomy, that's another fear. Fear of being immobilized, paralyzed, restricted, overwhelmed, or controlled by other circumstances. And in its physical form, this is claustrophobia, but it also extends to social interactions and relationships. The fourth one is separation. Fear of abandonment, rejection, loss of connectedness. And the last one is ego death. Fear of humiliation, shame, or any other mechanism of profound self-disapproval that threatens the loss of integrity and of self. Fear is often the base emotion in which anger stays afloat. Oppressed peoples rage against their oppressors because they're fearful, and those who make us fearful will also make us angry. So if you're feeling any of those emotions or feelings, you can pretty much bet that that's not from God. You are experiencing unhealthy fear, not healthy fear. The only way to deal with unhealthy fear is to believe in God's perfect, perfect love for you. But how can you do that? How do you know he has perfect love for you? From the version, the message, it says, This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as our sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. That's how we know he has perfect love for us. He came, became the sacrifice, took on our judgment, and loved us perfectly. We are not meant to be fearful. We are meant to be fearless. People who live fearlessly, I don't know if you know those people who are kind of risk takers, but they tend to have an attitude of, I've got nothing to lose, right? I've got everything to gain, 
and nothing to lose. In other words, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's fearlessness. Romans 8, 38 and 39. I'm sure you've heard this before, but I love these verses. These are Paul's words. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I would say that that list covers anything we are ever going to face, don't you? None of these things can separate us from God's love. You see, Jesus took care of our worst-case scenario. We think about what's the worst thing that can happen in this situation, like I do. But the absolute worst thing that can happen for any human being is to be separated from God's love for all eternity. Jesus took care of that. He took care of our worst-case scenario. So we can live fearlessly. But how do you go from being fearful to fearless? How can the same person act on both of those, even in the same day or even the same hour? Well, if we believe Jesus loves us perfectly, we won't have fear. But the opposite is true, too. If we don't believe that, we will have fear. Our second point is our belief about Jesus' love for us dictates our level of fear. Now, a lot of people in the Bible have shown fearlessness and fearfulness. Nehemiah showed fearlessness. Let's talk about Peter, though. Here is Peter, who has denied knowing Jesus three times for fear of his own life. Jesus is arrested and taken away Peter follows along, but is on the outside. And three times, someone comes up to him and says, aren't you with him? Don't you know Jesus? And Peter says, no, not me. I don't know him. Out of fear, he denied knowing Jesus. But look at Peter in the book of Acts. Peter is speaking boldly about Jesus to anybody, being thrown in jail, beaten. That doesn't stop him. You see, he saw that Jesus died for him on the cross, rose again, and he got it. Jesus loved him perfectly, and he had nothing to fear. What about King Saul back in 1 Samuel in the Old Testament? King Saul was the first king of Israel, and early on he started out pretty good. He was a courageous guy, but very quickly King Saul spiraled down out of fear. You see, he became very jealous of David. As soon as David killed Goliath, the people were praising David way more than Saul. And Saul thought, uh-oh, I'm going to be dethroned here. And that fear propelled him into chasing down David for the rest of his life. That's what Saul did. And he ended up committing suicide. All of that from fear. Well, what about Abraham? Back in Genesis 12 and 20, Abraham shows some fearfulness by lying two times about Sarah being his wife. 
You see, he told her, you're beautiful, and also he was a pretty wealthy guy. He thought, if we go through and someone asks you, say you're my sister, because if you say you're my wife, they're going to kill me. So Sarah obeys him. So he does this in, again, chapter 12 and 20, which is interesting because you think, really? The same mistake twice? You didn't get it the first time? But you know what? Really? Do I keep doing that same thing over and over again? When we don't call sin out as sin, we are a lot more vulnerable to repeating it. We call it a mistake. We call it a little white lie, bending the truth. We don't call it what it is. Well, both times, God protected Sarah from being touched by these kings. And the second time in chapter 20, which was right before Isaac was conceived, Abimelech, the king, came to Abraham and said, Why have you lied to me about her being your sister when she's your wife? You see, God spoke to Abimelech in a dream and said, You are a dead man because the woman you have taken is another man's wife. So he comes to Abraham, and Abraham has these great excuses as to why he lied out of fear. Abraham says, first excuse, I didn't think the fear of God was in this place. The fear of God was not in Abraham, clearly. Second, Well, she really is my sister. Well, this was half true because Sarah was his half-sister. However, even a half-truth with the intent to deceive is a whole lie. And last, he says, God called me to wander from my house. This was an indirect way of blaming God for the problem. God sent him on a dangerous journey, and Abraham had to do what he could to protect himself. This could have been a disaster, because Isaac's paternity could have been called into question, and then ultimately, the line of Jesus, because he was a descendant of Abraham, could have been called into question. It's frightening to think about how one little white lie could change the course of history had God not intervened. Sometimes it's not that we're afraid of God's ability to carry out his will or to protect us, as it was in Abraham's case. Sometimes it's what God's will for us is that's frightening. Haven't you ever said, oh, I'll never go serve in that country I'll never take that ministry position, and you kind of go, uh-oh, that means God's going to make me do it, right? Well, we are afraid sometimes of that. We're actually more fearful of what God can do, not what he can't do. Well, I'm going to share with you a story about how fear led me to sin. And I'm just going to preface this with, This is not news to Barry, so don't feel like I am uh, breaking any confidences here, right? We're good? Okay, we're good. Well, I had dated this guy in high school for three years, and uh, 
I really put a lot of my energies into him and just felt like, well, we're going to get married later on. And I kind of turned my back on God. And I put this guy, wrong guy. (laughs) You can take that off. And I kind of, uh, you'll get that later. So when I broke up with this guy who actually caused me to stray away from the Lord, I decided I am going to recommit my life to Christ. And I am only going to date nice Christian guys who are going to really help me stay focused on God. So I did. I, you know, dated these really nice guys and they were in Bible study and they went to church and they were really nice Christian guys. And they were really boring. So I thought, well, okay, is I'm sure it's going to get better. And I found myself becoming whoever they wanted me to be because that's what a nice Christian girl does. So if they wanted to hike, I became a hiker. I hate hiking. If they were a cross-country skier, I went and rented the equipment and went cross-country skiing and hated it. And they were very content to have me cook them dinner and hang out, not take me out to dinner, not have any fun in my eyes. And I thought, whoa, this, is, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Well, I'm sure I was drawing from the wrong pool of guys because none of you Christian guys in here are like that. I understand that. <laughs> wrong time. But then I did meet a really handsome, fun guy. That's him. Now, I don't know how old you were here, but it was before we met. Oh, my, you were young. Okay. So, anyway, we met at a wedding that he photographed for my best friend, and I was her maid of honor. And we just immediately hit it off. I thought he was so handsome, and you are still handsome, honey. You were so handsome. And he was so fun and upbeat all the time and wanted to take me out and just do all these great things. And I was having a great time. Just a little problem, though. He wasn't a Christian. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to have some fun for a while. We'll go out. We'll have fun. He's going to be this eternal bachelor anyway because he's not the kind of guy who's ever going to want to settle down. And then we'll break up, and then I'll go back, and I'll find one of these nice Christian guys, and I'll do what I'm supposed to do. Well, there was a little problem with that. We fell in love. Didn't plan on that. We met August 1st. We had our first date at Bumper Shoot, the uh, Labor Day weekend. We got engaged two months later on October 31st. Yes, it was Halloween. And we got married February 1st. I love that picture because I love my cake. <laughs> so, so we got married. Now, this whole time, I'm knowing in the back of my mind, this isn't right. I shouldn't be doing this, but I'll figure it out later because I'm in love with this guy. 
and no one else like him is ever going to want to marry me. I was afraid of what God's plan for my life was. And I thought, God, if that's your plan for me, forget it. I've got a better one, and I'll figure it out later. Well, obviously, we're still married, happily so. And fortunately, about 15 years ago, Barry came to the Lord, which was a miracle. But you know, it could have ended very differently. Life was hard. Marriage is hard enough, but when you don't have that foundation to really hold you together, it was tough. There was a lot of heartache. There was confusion with our kids for a while. Why doesn't dad believe? You know, it was just all of that. But God in his mercy and grace, we are here today. But I have to say that I knew what I was doing was out of God's will. I was afraid for what God had for me. Now, we're going to go back to Abraham here because Abraham has been fearful, but we're going to see him be fearless. I believe that Abraham was able to be fearless because he truly believed God loved him perfectly, and he had nothing to fear. This situation of Abraham... Willing, willingly sacrificing his one and only son, to me, is unimaginable. I don't understand that. Many people don't understand that. They don't understand, God, why would you even ask something like that? I don't know. I know that God loved Isaac and God had his plan. But Abraham completely trusted God. I'm going to read just the first few verses of this. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. I can't even read this without crying because I can't imagine this. And go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young man, men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father... He said, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. You know the rest of the story. Abraham was poised and ready to do what God asked him to do with no fear at all. And an angel intervened and said, Abraham, stop. And then there was the lamb, the ram in the thicket 
that was the burnt offering that Abraham said, God will provide the lamb. Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Abraham was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Sound familiar? It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God, this is the key, Abraham considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Abraham knew that even if he killed his son, God would be able to bring him back to life if needed. Because remember, in this son was promised all the descendants. How could that happen if he killed his son? As far as we know, Abraham did not argue with God on that. He did what he was told. There are a lot of similarities between this sacrifice of Isaac and the sacrifice of Jesus. And there are actually scholars who believe that this story in the book of Genesis is the precursor for what happened with Jesus. That many things line up. The only begotten son offered on a hill, carrying the wood, carrying the cross, the thicket of thorns, the crown of thorns. There are many more, but we're not going to focus on that today. But it's interesting to see the correlation here between these two ultimate sacrifices. I wish I had an example from my own life to share with you about being fearless. I don't. I'm always good for the bad examples, (laughs) so you can come to me for that. (laughs) But it's interesting to think about how we go from being so fearful to being fearless. So what's your level of fear right now? What are you feeling? Where are you on this uh, little scale, this meter? Do you believe that Jesus loves you perfectly, meaning there's no room for improvement? It couldn't be done any better? Are you believing that? Are you able to rest in the absolute love of Jesus right in the middle of the situation you have that could cause you a lot of fear? Tell Jesus your fears and let his perfect love Cast those fears out into oblivion where they belong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your perfect love. It is faultless, it is total, it is complete. And you allow us to experience that right in the middle of our fearful situation. God, we just thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, that we will never have to face the worst-case scenario, being separated from your love for all eternity. God, help us to live that way today and the rest of our days. In your name we pray. Amen.